0: What is up everyone, my name is OJ Tucker, host of the OJ Tucker podcast, the only comedy tense podcast that talks about a political and societal culture as a whole. My name is OJ Tucker, as the name would suggest, happy Tuesday, hopefully you guys enjoyed your weekend, spending time with your family or friends, watching the latter half the end of the Monte Carlo Rolex Masters final, as well as the beginning of the Barcelona Open final as well, or the Barcelona Open in, in general as well. There's a little bit of news that we can get into for today in terms of news outside of Tennis World. I want to talk about this one show that I recently watched called Beef. And why I believe it's one of the best shows not only have I ever watched, but as of recently. Uh, and to be honest, I, I do think it's up there with White Lotus. So I want to talk about Beef. It's 10 episodes long. It's on Netflix. Go watch it if you haven't already. But I really want to discuss Beef because I think it's a really good show. And yeah, I want to discuss that before anything else. So there's no weekly pick. This will be my weekly pick. And I feel like this is this deserves a deep dive. Instead of just spending four or five minutes talking about it, why not spend an actual segment discussing it? So beef, I want to discuss beef with Ali Wong, Steven Yun, Danny Cho, and other individuals that are in the in the in the series as well. So beef, I want to discuss Uh, in terms of news outside of the television world. I want to talk about DeSantis signing a six week abortion ban. Uh, Why I think this will actually hurt his case for the 2024 primary. And why well, I think in a lot of ways, the state Republicans within Florida are a little bit out to lunch or out of touch with their actual voting base. So I want to talk about that with DeSantis in, in terms of our political world. Uh, but in terms of uh, news within tennis, I want to talk about Monte Carlo. And did Monte Carlo live up to the hype? Was it a, Was it a tournament that really lived up to what we expected it to be? with all the individuals that were out, that were highly ranked, that decided to just lose on a whim, you know, whether it was in the semifinals, the quarterfinals, even before then. Was it worth worth the hype? Did it live up to the hype? And I really want to talk about that as well. I think that's a very, very important thing that we don't really often discuss when it comes to tennis, right? Where we we mention the players, we talk about the players, we build up the players and whatnot. But in terms of the actual build-up to the tournament, in terms of how the tournament played out, did was this Monte Carlo tournament that great? And I think it was. I'm not gonna lie. I think it was. Us. I think there's gonna be a lot of complaints about this tournament. You know, with all the top players losing, how there's more parity than ever before. And I, I, I think that they're off. So I want to talk about that with Monte Carlo and if they live up to the hype. But I will start off this podcast by recapping the Monte Carlo final that happened between Andre Rublev and Holger Rune. So if you guys don't know, Andre Rublev beat Rune 5-7, 6-2, 7-5 in three sets. This match really showed not only the success of Andre Rublev during these matches and just how important age and experience is, but it also really showed you the inexperience of Holger Rune, and more importantly, just how immature and unprofessional he was, especially in the latter half of this match, with the second and third set of this match. And that's sort of what we've expected from Holger Rune for quite some time now. When you think about his beef with Kasparud, when you think about his beef with Stanislav Walrinka, this is just adding to the overall negative press of Holger Rune, and I think it's going to get to a point where it will affect him and his play down the line, as if it already isn't happening right now. So overall, Rublev beats Rune five seven six two seven five. I know I've been quite critical of Holger Rune so far, but I will give some credit to Holger Rune. Let's let's get right into this match. First set again. I usually recap each and every final, especially for 18, 18, 1000s finals. So this is no different. Uh, first set, Holger Rune play well. He played really well, you know, he was able to get breaks when be. he was able to really do well returning serve, did well in terms of holding serve as well. I mean, he did what you expected him to do. So let's get right into it. So both held serve in the first five games of the set. Uh, there was a great dropper by Rune to make it 2-serving 3, 2-serving uh, 3, love 15, Ruble serving. Uh, another dropper in the same game allows him to go up love 40. Uh, return serve by Rune allows him a break to make it 4-2, so he gets the break 4-2. And it's very important to notice this and acknowledge this. Whenever he was down, whenever he was on the verge of being broken, Rune would always go to the net. He would always have some sort of a drop shot or some, some form of a ground stroke near the net or near the baseline that would allow him to go near the net. And that's what his bread and butter was in that first set. And dare I say, even throughout this entire match, whenever he was on the verge of being broken. He would resort to just going in the net, and if it was drop shots or if it was, you know, being able to end in the net by having a volley, you know, the net was very, very import, important for Holger Holger Rune in this match. Uh, so I just wanted to point that out. Whenever he was on the verge of being broken, he always went to the net. Uh, despite Rublet being able to break on Love, Rune was able to come back and make it competitive. But Rublev was still at to break to make a 3-4 changeover. So that was a very important uh, break for Ruble because it really made it a little bit more competitive. Uh, yes, he had the ability to break on love, and during this entire first set, he just was not able to do, well, to do well on the break point. I think at one point he was like 0 for 5 on break points. So to see him be able to break and make him competitive, I think that really holds a lot of weight to Rublev. And now he still had that fighting spirit. You know, There was many times where he got thrown in the towel. Just like Holger Rune did in the second and third set. But he just didn't. And he was able to pre- prevail and persevere, and he won his first ATP 1000 tournament of this past year. So that's really good. Uh, Rublev holds to make a 4-all. Uh, Holger Rune holds to make a 5-4 changeover. Rublev holds on Love to make it 5-all. Rune holds 6-5 changeover. And then Ru- Rune was able to break as Rublev's ground stroke goes long as Rune would take the first set 7-5. So overall, just valiant effort by Rune in that first set. I really wish we could see more of that from Rune throughout this entire match because it just wasn't the case for him whatsoever. Second set, there's nothing more I can say, but he just gave away that set away. Rune gave that set away to Rublev, and he did not make it competitive whatsoever. He was not able to really compete. I mean, yeah, he won two games, but 6-2 second set after winning the first set 7-5, not that great. Obviously, there are times where we've seen players drop a set, right? We've seen Novak Djokovic drop a set, usually the first set, just to have a better feel or an understanding as to what his opponent's doing. But Rune's not on that level yet. He's still 19 years old. He's still a teenager. And I know it, it's, it's, it's a little too much for me to critique a teenager, but at, at the same time, if you're a tennis player, if you're making millions of dollars, if you're getting sponsorship deals at the wazoo, if... You're playing competitive tennis, professional tennis. You're going to get criticized, and I, I you have to criticize Holger Rune for his immaturity, for his childishness, for his unprofessionalism, and that started in that second set. Obviously, I know he, the, the, he's young, right? He's going to make these mistakes. He's still a kid, but if we don't be honest about him then it could turn into another Nick Heroes 2.0 situation. And we don't want that to happen for tennis. We don't want to see stars be able to squander their potential before they are able to strike all the RNs hot. To be honest with you, I it's important to critique him because we don't want to see another situation Nick Kyrgios 2.0 where we have an individual who's a generational talent that's not able to win because he's in his he's in his own head. We don't want to see that happen, so I have to say that very upfront and be very clear here. Yes, he's very young, and I understand that this is growing pains. But at the same time, we got to be honest. Otherwise, if we're not honest with it, then what's? Then we shouldn't. Then we shouldn't be surprised if this happens to be another Nick Hero situation. And I don't want that to happen for Holger Rune. I want to be able to see Holger Rune be in the in the in the same field that say Alcraz and Yannick Sinner. And he's just not there yet, in my opinion. Anyways, let's get into that second set. So Rune the forehand goes wide as Rublev breaks to make a one love. uh Rublev loves on hold. uh Holds on love actually to make a two love. Uh, great rally by the two as Rune makes it advantage again. I, you got to see that to believe it. Two love making it advantage Rune. Go watch it. Very good rally between the two of them. I won't do it justice, justice by talking about it, so go watch it. Uh, Rune holds to make a 1-2 changeover. Rune breaks to make a 2-all. Rublev will break back to make a 3-2. Rublev holds 4-2. Rublev breaks 5-2. Rublev takes a set on a long backhand by Rune as a, as a long backhand by Rune goes long and and uh, as he gets the points to make to a make 6-2. Overall, this was just a squash that it really was. Um, Squash meaning it was just one-sided. And again, there are individuals who have lost a, a set in a major or in a final that you could see that their hearts and minds were clearly not in it. You know, Djokovic, there are times where he will drop a first set in a major, as I've said before. But again, he's not there yet. He's just not there yet. He's not able to be in that headspace where he can knowingly drop a set and then come back knowing the strengths and weaknesses of his opponent. He's just not there yet. And and I'm sure he'll get there at some point or time if he's able to control his tempo and, and his and his temper. But man oh man, like don't if you're a kid, right? Do not drop a set knowingly. Make sure that it's competitive. Make sure that you're able to strike while the iron is hot, keep that same momentum, keep that same energy. You know, you he won the first set. You know pretty competitively build off that and he just wasn't able to build off that and and we entered into third set one all so it, it's just it's one of those things where you got to make sure that you keep continuing on that momentum because it's just not able to in my opinion it's just not able to continue working if that's the case anyways let's get into the third set so forehand clean winner by room makes it one love amazing return served by a to set up break point I should set up the third set. So Rune was up 4-1. He was up 4-1 at this third set. He had the match in his bag. He was up 4-1, but costly unforced errors ruined Rune's chance, no pun intended, uh, of being able to win this tournament. Just costly unforced errors at several times. There was was two overheads that he missed back-to-back, and it got so bad that he literally chucked a ball into the upskirts of the court. And he got a code violation because of it. And I understand he's young, right? He's 19. But you can make those errors. You can't make those mistakes. you got to play good, solid tennis. And that's being able to understand the fundamentals of tennis. Understanding how to hit an overhead correctly. Making sure that you don't double fault on, on break point. Right, these are things that you can't do, and he did that in this set. Anyways, uh, so yeah, forehand clean one run by Rune makes it one love. Amazing return serve by Rune to set a break point. Uh, Rune pressures Rublev at the net as he breaks to make two love. Rublev return serve is dead of the net as Rune leads three uh, three love changeover. Rublev holds to make a three one. Backhand by Rune, Rune, not returned by Rublev as he goes up for one changeover. And that's when it all went down for Rune. Uh, Rublev would then hold to make it 4-2. Rublev breaks uh, Rune to make it 4-3. Changeover. Uh, Returns served by Rune. And goes along as Rublev ties it up to make it 4-all. Rune holds on Love to make it 5-4. Dude, he was one game away. That's how close he was. He was one game away. But his immaturity and, and childishness got in the way. And I know I'm being critical of him. I know I'm being very critical of him. But he needs this tough love, right? Like, if... If you're a tennis analyst and you're not being honest about his play and giving him a pass, you're not doing your job correctly. you got to make sure that you're honest and that you're able to critique these tennis players because we don't want this to happen. We don't want this to happen where it just goes haywire at the end. Anyways, uh, incredible lob by Rublev as Rune went to the net as he would go at 15 love, 4 5. By the way, that lob was a thing of beauty. There are very few players that can really execute a lob like that. Andy Murray, here with her catch. I'm sure there's others, but off the top of my head, those are the two individuals that come to mind when I think of the lobs and how successful those people have been in lobs. Rublev can be up there as well because Rublev's lob that in that specific point was just a thing of beauty. It was and by the way, I love lobs. Like to be honest with you, lobs are like my favorite point to win. Because the amount of construction, point construction that goes into having a lob as like a clean winner is just master level. It's it's mathematical level. It's There's nothing like it, to be honest with you. Yeah, the drop shot's nice. And, and you know, having a backhand down the line, also nice as well. But a, a well-timed lob where you really constructed that point from the baseline out and from the net out. Nothing better than that. There's nothing better than a, a, a great lob, in my opinion. Anyways, uh Rublev would then hold on uh, on love to make it five all. Again, this is where this is the game where it was make or break for a rune and it just did not go in his favor whatsoever. Uh, there were two overheads by Rune that went straight to the net as as he would slip to the love thirty. Rune then would then you know chuck. The ball into the stands, get a code violation for hurting the ball into the stands, and that was after he made his second mess up. Uh, Rublev would then break on a double fault to make it 6 5. Uh, Rublev ace gets him the third set and the title, and that way he would win that third set 7 uh, 5. Overall, what else can there be? What else can be said about this match besides, man oh man, did Olga Room just fumble the bag? He quite literally fumbled the bag. I mean, this is one of those matches where Rumo will look back at 10 years from now, 15 years from now, and be like, did I really do that? Did I really make an ass out of myself during the entire duration of that second and third set? Again, getting code violations, you know, being irate that you couldn't get an overhead smash to be able to go on the other side of the net. What are we doing here? What are we doing here? This is, I don't know if, who his coaches. is. I, I really don't know. I hope he's surrounding himself with good people because this is just not it. It isn't it. This isn't what we want from like a budding tennis star. It just isn't. And I think it's one of those things where you look at it and think to yourself, why? Why now? Why do this when the lights are shining the brightest on a final Sunday? For an ATV 1000s tournament. You you could have had ample opportunity to sweep this under the rug by pulling this out on a third round match or on a fourth round match. You know, you could have had ample opportunity to pull this out earlier in the week. But you chose to do it on a final Sunday. And again, I understand, you know, the things happen in the moment, tempers flare, whatever. But you've got to compose yourself. If you don't compose yourself, especially in tennis, you're going to lose nine times out of ten. And he just wasn't able to do that. He just wasn't able to compose himself. And because of that, he got the short end of the stick. He lost in sets two and three. And to be honest with you, he should have at least made that second set competitive, not just stall and get let allow Rulev to hit easy aces and clean winners. Just let him just play, just play. Take what you learned in that first set, incorporate it in that second set, and make it even more competitive. And hey, even if you lose, at least you knew and the heart of hearts that he made it competitive. And that third said there's really no excuse. He was up 4-1. He was one game away from winning the championship, and he, lo- and he, lo- and he lost it. There's nothing else that he can really say about it. He lost it. And you, he has nothing to blame or nobody to blame but himself for his loss. You know, And again, I know I'm being very you know critical of Rune here. I understand that. But again, he's still a teen. And if he's not able to correct his act, then this will just spiral into even worse showings for Rune. And I don't want that to happen because he is very talented, all right? I I say this because I truly think he's a talented individual. And we've seen what happened with him between him and Kasparu. We've seen what happened between him and Wawrinka. And I don't want that to continue for him. I just don't, you know? But anyways, congrats to Rublev. Obviously, the fortitude that Rublev has shown over the past few months is amazing. There are times where you saw Rublev, whether earlier this year or even late last year, where he just wasn't himself on court, where he would often take himself very seriously on court and, and you know be very mad at himself whenever he made a mess up. And to see him really be able to go out there and be confident and composed and cool, I just thought that was just such a unique thing that I haven't really seen of Rublev thus far. So congrats to Rublev on being able to survive that. You know, it, it's it's I know I'm being quite hard on Rune right now and but where I don't really give Rublev his flowers, but you gotta give his flowers when need be, right? You gotta give his flower. you gotta give Rublev his flower flowers because he was really good in this match, especially in in, in that third set. You know, the ability to come back from four one, you know, capitalize off of Rune's sensitivity and frustratedness i think that's one of a kind it really is so congrats to rublev on winning the atp monte carlo rolex masters i'm happy for him it's been a long time coming for him i'm happy to see the continued success that he will have and um i'm just excited to see it and again i wouldn't be shocked to see Rublev win a major in the next three four years I know people don't want to admit that, but I really do think so. I really do think that Rublev has the ability to win a major. If the if the cards fall in his favor, he does have that. He he has that ability to to do so. So, congrats to Andre Rublev on winning the Monte Carlo Rolex Masters. Um, I know I went a little bit too hard in the paint for, uh, on Rune but it comes from a perspective of wanting to make sure that he plays better you know so that that's what it comes down to i just want to see competitive tennis and when you see the second and third set it's like it wasn't that much you know once you saw rublev come back from 4-1 you're like okay this is going to go to Ru- this is going to go to rublev actually this will go to rublev easily actually so yeah, i just want to say that Anyways, I think that's it for the recap. Uh, hopefully you guys enjoy that because I know it comes from a good perspective, right? It comes from an honest place. I want to see best for, for for Rune, and hopefully he's able to do that in the next tournament because, again, I do think he's a generational talent. I think he's up there with each center and Alcroz for being the next guard to replace the big three. He may not win as many majors as, say, Nadal or Djokovic or even that as, say, Federer, but I do think in some way, shape, or form, he will be in that discussion with Alcaraz and Sinner as to who will be the GOAT of the next generation, you know? And to see him continue to have these sort of flare-outs, it's not a good look. It really isn't. But I think that's it. If you guys have any questions or comments on that topic, let me know down below. Uh, what do you what do you feel about the match? How do you feel about this match? Do you think that this was one of the better matches of twenty twenty three? What do you think Rune should do to compose himself on court? I think that's the biggest question. You know, do you think Rune will be able to compose himself on court to be able to uh, compete with the likes of Sinner uh, and Alcaraz? I want to hear all your thoughts down below on that. You know, I really do. So, anyways, I think that's it for for the recap. Let's get into did Monte Carlo live up to the hype? This is going to be like a shorter segment that I have um, because I just don't think it's that necessary. Like at first when I wrote it down in my notes app, I'm like, okay, this is going to be like a really good deep dive on on this tournament, right? But And I still think that in a lot of ways, but I want to be able to sort of talk about this for, for a little bit and then sort of move on. But I've noticed that there's been a lot of upsets that happened during Monte Carlo, right? Sitsvoss lost Taylor Fritz, 2-6-4-6 in straight sets. I think this was like the quarterfinal round on Friday. Uh, Medvedev would then beat Suvair, 6-3, 5-7, 7-6. We expected that. Uh, But then Rune would be Medvedev, 6-3, 6-4. to the fact that Novak Djokovic had an early exit. Nadal and Alcaraz were both injured. We're not able to to play in this tournament whatsoever. You know, again, Lorenzo Musetti just beat Djokovic. And I'm like, okay, I guess... Djokovic is out now. I guess that destroyed everybody's bets. I guess that destroyed everybody's parlays. It is what it is. comes with the territory. comes with the baggage. But didn't Monte Carlo live up to the hype? Was Monte Carlo a good tournament? And to be honest with you, I don't think so. Uh, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> I actually do think it lived up to the hype. I'm not going to lie. I think it lived up to the hype. Obviously, re- disregard that final match of that tournament and i think you had a pretty nice build i think parody in a lot of ways is good for tennis and this tournament really showed that yes you know you want to be able to build up these characters right you want to be able to build up tennis players to show how un how unbeatable they are so that when they do get beaten it's a revelation it's you know the front page news you want to be able to build off of these matches so that there can be players that are just clearly unstoppable, right? I mean, that's just long-term booking at its finest. You want to make sure that these players are able to compete and do well, especially those who are at the top, can stay at the top. You know, obviously you want to see uh, Medvedev and and Djokovic be able to compete, especially on Final Sunday. I mean, that that would be the ideal scenario for Monte Carlo, for Tennis Channel, for anybody who covers this tournament. They want to be able to see the best players compete. Uh, So when you have like a Rolons Musetti knock out Djokovic early in the tournament, you're like, okay, why is this the case? You know, what's happening here? But in in all honesty, I think it's good for tennis. I think parity is a good thing for tennis. I think the more parity there is, the more competitive things are, the more things that are unpredictable, that's all good for tennis. And yeah, there may be critique on that. There might be criticism on that. But I think in a lot of ways that criticism is misguided. I think that critique is a little bit ill-educated in a lot of ways, uneducated. If, if ill-educated, I don't know if that's a word, but uneducated. I think in a lot of ways, there should be parody, there should be the ability for an element of surprise where anything can happen, right? I think that's what makes tennis so unique and so iconic, you know, of a sport. Is that literally anything can happen? You know, anything can happen. Who knew Alcaraz would have have more majors won than Zverev? and and um and sitsipas combined think about that alcaraz right now has more majors won than Zverev and sitsipas combined at one point in time sometime during 2016 2017 zverev and sitsipas were comp- were considered to be the next in line and they're now the same age as i am 24 25 26 and they're still haven't won the big thing that shows you the element of surprise that shows you just how unpredictable tennis can become right now Nick curios at one point in time in 2017 2018 people were like oh my god will this guy ever be able to compete in a major I know I was saying that back in 2021 when he lost in Montreal you know I'm like or DC one of those uh, majors or one of those tournaments in August I was like oh my god will this guy ever win will this guy ever do well and then you see him last year competed in Wimbledon final against Djokovic, and he won a set against Djokovic. So again, it all goes to show you that parity is good. Being able to surprise individuals with one serve is is something that really makes tennis stand out on its own as a sport. So did Monte Carlo have it up to the hype? Maybe, maybe it did. Uh, I'll be honest with you. I think Monte Carlo was a good tournament. Was it the best tournament that we ever watched? No. Was it the best Monte Carlo we ever watched? No. Will it be the best clay tournament that we will watch this year? I hope not. Uh, I hope there will be better tournaments out there like Madrid or or, uh, the Italian Open or even say that of Roland Garros. Hopefully there's better. Um, But overall, I think that this is a good indication that crazy things can happen during Roland Garros. You know, don't just count on Rafa Nadal to win. Obviously, he's the clear favorite, and he should be. He's won that tournament 14 times now. if and Maybe I'm missing one. Uh, but do not just think that this is a lock for Rafa Nadal because crazy things can happen. I mean, we've seen Musetti won against Djokovic. That's crazy. Absolutely crazy. Uh, So just just keep that in mind. Crazy things can happen during tennis. And to insinuate or to believe that only one person is a clear on favor to win, I mean, that's understandable. But at the same time, be aware that this is tennis. That one injury, one retirement of a match can literally sway an entire major to one individual or to another individual or make it uncertain. And I think that's what makes tennis so beautiful. So did Monte Carlo go to the hype? Sure. Sure. I don't know why I made that the topic because maybe I was a little bit over in my head because uh, I just saw so many upsets. I'm like, okay, like I got to like at least talk about this. Like it's so weird to see all these individuals that are very talented and are up on the rankings lose. It's just so weird to see that happen. But anyways, uh, hopefully I did justice to that topic. Um, hopefully I did. If you have any questions regarding that, uh, let me know down below or if any any comments. Uh, what was your favorite part of Monte Carlo? I want to hear about that. I want to hear about your favorite part of Monte Carlo. Was it the final Sunday? Because uh, uh, that, that, that would be understandable on so many levels. Uh, but yeah, overall, was it, uh, a, in your opinion, in your estimation, was it a fun tournament i think it was fun because you saw rublev hoist the trophy i'm not gonna lie seeing rublev hoist the trophy and having those remarks in his postgame presser i thought that was really nice uh by the way please bring back the russian and belarusian flag to whitewash their flags their ethnicity their nationality it is horrible is wrong it's disgusting put their flags back in their bio i understand you want to make some chick from Galveston some middle-aged mom from galveston texas happy that there's no russian or your flag stop it all right make sure that people can represent their country i understand that you got to make the liberal moms the soccer moms that vote democrat and are supporting ukraine for the sake of supporting ukraine happy but to be honest with you it's just wrong it's it's whitewashing if this was to any other individual if this happened to a person of color and you happen to take away their flag there will be backlash to it on social media, but because it's a white player, because it's a Russian person, it's completely swept under the rug. Make sure that people can support their country and understand that there's a difference between supporting a country and supporting wars that your country took place in or are currently being a part of. There's a there's a difference between the two. So I think that that's where I want to leave it at that. Uh, stop whitewashing people's countries. It's it's just wrong. Anyways. Let's get into news outside of the tennis world, Charlie. News outside of the tennis world and to the pol- political realm. Uh, so Ron DeSantis has signed a six-week abortion ban. This happened late last week. It was on his front doorstep. It was signed by the House, by the Senate of Florida, the State Senate of Florida, the House, uh, the, uh, House of Florida, um, the State House of Florida. This, this is from the AP. So I'll, I'll just pull it off from the AP. We'll talk about it later. Uh, as soon afterwards so desantis signs florida's gop six-week abortion ban into law so republican governor ron desantis signed into law a bill approved by the republican dominated florida legislature to ban abortions after six weeks of pregnancy the governor's office said in a statement late thursday that he had signed the legislation the ban gives desantis a key political victory among republican primary voters as he prepares to launch an expected Presidential candidacy built on his national brand as a conservative standard bearer. That's a wordful. Uh the six week ban will take effect only if the state's current fifteen week ban is upheld, and an ongoing challenge, legal challenge, that is before the state Supreme Court, which is controlled by Conservatives. The policy will have wider implications for abortion access throughout the South in the wake of the US Supreme Court's decision last year overturning Roe v. Wade, In leaving decisions about abortion access to states, Alabama, Louisiana, and Mississippi have banned abortion at all stages of pregnancy, while Georgia forbids the procedure after cardiac activity can be detected, which is around six weeks. We have the opportunity to lead the national debate about the importance of protecting life and giving every child the opportunity to be born and find his or her purpose, said Republican Representative Jenna Persons-Mulika, who carried the bill in the office. Democrat and abortion rights groups have criticized Florida's proposal as extreme. This ban would prevent 4 million Florida women of reproductive age from accessing abortion care after six weeks, before many women even know they're pregnant, White House press Secretary Karine John Pierre said in a statement issued after Thursday's vote. This ban would also impact the nearly 15 million women of reproductive age who live in abortion banning states throughout the South, many of whom have previously relied on travel to florida as an option to access care i don't think anyone has decided to go to florida to access abortion care but it is what it is uh here's the thing i think republicans are shooting themselves in the foot uh this is a wildly unpopular position i think banning access to abortion is not popular whatsoever uh i think you'll be surprised to see the amount of republicans conservatives that is rockefeller republicans And in in today's time, I would say barstool conservatives who are very much pro-choice that are against this, because, again, this is just not one of those things that just affects women, it also affects men as well. Um, So I I think in a lot of ways, DeSantis is shooting himself in the foot. And I think that this is what separates Trump from the pack, is that he knows what's popular and what's not popular. And yeah, while he did bring three conservative judges on the Supreme Court, and and while and while those judges did overturn Roe v. Wade, he wasn't supportive of that decision at all, in the slightest. In fact, there was a lot of people within his cabinet, within his group, that were saying, no, Trump hates this. Like, yeah, he wanted conservative judges on the court, but he hated the fact that they overturned Roe v. Wade. So he understands just how unpopular overturning Roe v. Wade was. You know, Ron DeSantis, I think, is trying to mix himself in with the evangelicals they understand that he understands that the evangelicals are sort of turned off by trump's rhetoric and they want or he wants to be able to have the evangelicals on his side and i don't think he's really going to succeed on that because at some point or another the evangelicals will want a national abortion ban and i don't think desantis in his mind wants that so I think he's just shooting himself in the foot. And it really goes to show you just how different of a playing field Trump is than DeSantis and with all the other individuals, right? I mean, when you think about Mike Pence, right? Mike Pence wants a national abortion ban. Mike Pence is also gay as hell, right? So it's it's one of those things where, and and he's not going to win the presidency whatsoever. Like, again, like if Mike Pence thinks he's going to win the primary for the election, if Unless there's some like voodoo power that's in charge, unless there's some sort of chicanery that happens, unless there's some sort of funny business that ha- occurs, unless there's some form of just, just cheating that happens on a massive scale, I do not see Mike Pence winning. I, I really don't. And I think it's because he just comes off as so gay, as so unlikable in a lot of ways i mean just the overall support they just had for ukraine i think is crazy the fact that there's been fighting republican infighting on ukraine in terms of russian aid i think that's hilarious uh, but overall this is just not a good look for desantis it's just not i mean i think or the overturning of Roe v. Wade was already unpopular with like 60 percent of the country this just adds to it and this will be viewed as one of those things that will affect his campaign You know, because abortion will be an issue for the Republican debate stage, and there will be individuals that will range from, say, a Glenn Youngkin. that will be like, no, I'm for pro-choice, but there are certain times where or I'm pro-life, but there are certain times where I could be pro-choice. You know, you'll have that sort of vantage point, that sort of extreme. But then you'll have the other side of the extreme where you have Mike Pence on stage being like, no glenn young and is not a real republican you know he should be calling for a national abortion ban i'm calling for a national abortion ban and it's going to be one of those things where it will make or break a presidency abortion will make or break presidency or a campaign i should say not a presidency a presidential campaign abortion is that one issue where it will affect it and right now i don't think DeSantis is doing well in that department i really don't think so um i just don't i just don't think this this will work in this favor whatsoever for me i i think the focus should always be on being like if i'm a re- republican which i'm not i'm i'm a political i'm politically non-binary i am there are a lot of non-binary things i am politically I'm, that's one of the things where i am non-binary at and uh, <laughs> uh if i was a republican right if i was running i'd be like Abortion is not an issue right now. we got to focus on other things. And yeah, I may piss off the evangelicals and their voting block, but whatever. I don't really care at the end of the day. They're going to support whatever Republicans in office anyways. It really doesn't matter what, the, what they think. It really doesn't. <laughs> I'm just being honest with you. It really doesn't it matter what the evangelicals think about abortion. If you're a one-issue voter and you just care about abortion, you are retarded. Like, you are so dumb. Like, you are so dumb. If abortion is the one thing that like sways you politically, like that is just one of the dumbest things you could ever do. It really is. And I'm sorry for this, for, for, uh, for saying, for calling you dumb, but it, it is true. Like it is true. Uh, if, if, if that is the one issue that you focus on, not on the ability for a candidate to give you like healthcare or a candidate to bring troops home overseas and finding these unjustly wars that are so cost costly to not only our you know gdp or not only to our to our debt but just for our mental well-being if if you're a voter that just cares about one issue and that's abortion that that's just very sad i'm not gonna lie that's a very sad thing right but anyways back to the topic uh DeSantis I feel like he's shooting himself in the foot as I've said before this is not a good look it just isn't um hopefully hopefully this insanity can like dry down I don't think it will anytime soon I think this will just kick it into high gear where now people will just make it like three or four weeks into it and again I'm not a conservative right and I'm criticizing this but there are conservatives that have criticized this right Sagar and Jetty from Breaking Points has said, yeah, this is a horrible idea. Like, why are you doing this? This is in lieu or, or or before you announce your presidential campaign. Why did you sign this into law? Just focus on the culture war. Focus on trying to like dunk on these, you know, blue hair, transgender people that want to have drag shows at, at, at you know, kids parties, you know, stick to that. You know, if, if anything, DeSantis should, should just stick to that, right? Because at least with that. There's some form of likability with that, right? When you see DeSantis shut down, like, some blue-haired chick who's, like, running trans shows at, like, a kid's birthday party when he just turned, like, three years old, I'm like, yeah, like, that's kind of weird. I mean, I don't want to get involved in that, but hey, if you want to, like, crap on it, then so be it. It's getting getting steam, it's getting you popularity, so be it. But with this, it's like, what was the rationale here? To piss off some random evangelical that lives in... Uh, tallahassee florida you know uh, who's a mother of four and and, you know lives in like a like a i don't know some form of uh you know section eight housing like what what is this like what is i don't want to crap on that situation i'm just saying like what is the benefit for it like what is the incentive for it i mean with the the trans thing at least he's he got some popularity of it. i mean Call it what you will. I mean, whether you support it or not, I don't. I don't really care about it. I mean, if you're if you run like a drag show for kids, I mean, it's kind of weird. But there's a lot of things that are made for kids that are weird. I mean, th- I mean there are a lot of things that are weird for kids, right? Uh, so if you want to go, if you want to build off that for your campaign, by all means. If you're do- if you're being popular because of that. By all means, do it. But this, if you see the polls for it, it, it's in the negatives, right? Not many people really support this bill. Not not many people really support this law into action. This is not what people really signed up for in Florida when they thought of DeSantis. They thought of him as, like, the moderate in a lot of ways. Um, as, like, the guy that would just bring sanity. And this is just, like, the definition of insanity. Uh, so, yeah, I, I just don't think this is going to work out in his favor. But I've been proven wrong, so we'll see how it goes. Anyways, uh, what do you think about this? Are you in favor of this abortion ban? Uh, if you're a conservative, if you're on the YouTube algorithm, probably you're going to be like, yeah, I support it. But I, I think this is a very unpopular thing. I really do. Like, I might be wrong, but I, I do I do think that this is, in terms of the country, this is a very unpopular thing. It is. Um, but anyways, that's it for the topic. Let's get into news outside of politics, outside of tennis, and into societal culture. So um, this is a very interesting thing. I mentioned this on the rundown uh, in the beginning of the podcast, but I, I should say it again. So Ali Wong and Steven Yoon let, let me rephrase that. So I recently watched Beef on Netflix starring Ali Wong and Steven Yun, and this is a great show. I truly, truly enjoyed watching the show. and In my opinion, this is up there with White Lotus in terms of one of the best shows on television right now. That's how glowingly I will say about the show. It is up there with White Lotus. Uh, so yeah, overall, Beef was on, uh, had its own season one on Netflix. And if you guys don't know, it basically discusses... The the premise of the show is Ali Wong's character gets involved in a car crash. Or Let me rephrase that. Let me say that again. So if you guys don't know the premise of the show, Steven Yun gets into a bit of a confrontation with Ali Wong and has a car chase scene to start off episode one of season one and from there on out it just goes and there's no better way to really explain it than how i just explained it you know i could summarize it for you but it's best for you to just go into this blind because it is just amazing um it really is a good show that shows the heart of human emotion and human relationships in general you know it, it, it's a it's one of those shows where you just have to see it to believe it because it is it is really really good. Um, if you guys don't know, I, I feel like I should do a better job explaining this. But Amy Lau, played by Ali Wong, is this very sort of well-to-do CEO of the company. You know, she runs her own business, coil House. Um, she's in the process of selling it. And she's having this family marital issues with her husband, you know, having some issues at home, uh, not really enjoying w- her life at the moment. And Stephen Yin's character, the way I interpret it is that he comes in and it's just basically that individual that just brings out the childlike the childlikeness of Ali Wong's character, you know, bring that bring that playfulness to Ali Wong's character and allowing Ali Wong to be able to break free from that mold of of just family life and and, and you know of of order and structure and steven Yun is just that breakaway from that and I, it just really goes to show you just how good steven Yun is in this in this in this show steven Yun is by far like gonna win an emmy from this right steven Yun will win an emmy based off of that church scene alone but Credit to Ali Wong as well, because it's very rare to see comedians go from comedy to drama without it coming off as corny or contrived. And the way that she was able to just transition to that into that role, into that dramatic role seamlessly, really goes to show you just how seriously she took that role, and just how successful and just how talented she is in terms of being an actor in that drama space. So overall, credit to uh, Ali Wong. The screenplay is just amazing. The writing is just phenomenal. There are parts in it where it's just comedy, where it's just like you just break out into laughter, right? Where there are times where it's just like serious, serious, seriousness, and it will just like up the ante in seriousness, and then all of a sudden, just one joke will just bring you back to center. There's this one joke. I think it's like season seven. Not not season seven. Episode seven episode eight, somewhere around that time period where, you know, they're talking about like their mental health, you know, uh, Amy's and, and her husband's mental health. And, you know, her husband mentioned uh, how he read something on Goop. And, you know, Amy was like, uh, why are you, why are you, you know, reading on Goop for, you know, marital advice? And he's like, I, got, I think they have some good things. <laughs> you know, it's just like that throwaway line really made it human where at any moment in time it could be like it could just drum up on the intensity of that dialogue and there are a lot of times where you watch shows where they just drum up the, intens- the intensity of that dialogue where you're like i need some time to breathe here like i need some time to like catch myself before this gets even more darker and more obscene so the fact that they had like throwaway lines here and there i thought that was really nice uh the line that um Steven Yeun's character had his brother which by the way his brother uh, Danny Cho's brother was was I thought underrated in this film like I thought that was a very nice role and whoever that actor was Young Young Min Son I, I don't know his last name I might have might have made up that name honestly uh but that young guy that played Danny Cho's character I thought he played well I, I thought he played that role to the T like that's what I expected from like a younger brother like uh golden retriever kind of guy that does whatever his older brother does and then just breaks away from his brother at the end. I, I don't want to spoil anything. you know. Hopefully I didn't spoil anything at the end, um, but just amazing. Again, this is a show that you have to watch and you got to see the belief. It is one of those shows where it's just better if you just if you just watch it. It really is. Uh, again, it's a great show with a great soundtrack and I can't highly, highly suggest this show enough you know the soundtrack alone just watch the show on the soundtrack alone honestly uh if you're a fan of justin Lin's better luck tomorrow you might enjoy this show and i'm not just saying because there's asians in it i'm just saying that if you enjoy better luck tomorrow you might enjoy this one as well uh yeah it's that good it's it really is that good um again there's not much you can i mean i don't want to spoil it if i talk more about this show and the specific the specificities of the show, I'll probably spoil it for you. So it's best if you just go into this blind. But again, the first few episodes, you're like, yeah, this show is just different, right? I mean, that church scene where Stephen Young's character Danny Cho breaks down was just, I mean, that's the I mean, that's the Emmy moment. And it, the one thing that I really enjoyed about the show. And what well, and I, I give a lot of props to shows, but the one thing that makes this show stand out from other shows is that it doesn't view religion as a crutch. It doesn't view religion as this thing to avoid. In a lot of ways, it openly welcomes it, <laughs> you know, it, it, it makes people in this show feel more human. And that's just one of the greatest things that I could really see, you know. And it's very rare to see that depicted immediately because oftentimes when you see religion depicted in, in like television or in film, it's often with a negative slant, right? It's often with a, oh, this religion is holding me back or, oh, I, I'm not being able to be more progressive because of things that are said in my religion. With this, it's like, no, I, I, I need to view, I need to be more human, I need to be more normal and this is my outlet to be more normal. And I think that's just, that just goes to show you the the depth as to how they viewed these characters and how how they just didn't view them as, like, one-dimensional. Because there are a lot of times where, especially with Asians in media, where they could have easily been like, oh, this person's trying to get away from a situation because he doesn't like his culture. And it's like, no, like, a lot of these individuals in this in this show actually really are down with their culture, right? I mean, that church scene happened in a Korean church, And by the way, Korean churches, based off what I've seen from the show and what I've seen outside of it, they look lit as hell. Like they are, they look awesome. I'm not gonna lie. Like, like that's something that I think modern day churches should do. Like, if you want to inspire more people to go to your church, make it feel like a raw concert. And that's what Korean churches do. And that's what they do in this show as well. Make it feel like it's something that people should go to. Instead of, like, making it as a chore to go to, like, church every Sunday, like, make it fun, enjoyable. Have some, you know, like, Edwin's character in in Beef, right? Like, he's this, you know, Asian little K-pop twink that, you know, plays the electric guitar. And it's just, like, get more people like that to perform at your churches so that you don't see a dwindling number of people go to your churches. Also, end the, you know, uh, the priest thing, you know, right, where you know, and, and the, and the kid, uh, abuse things, right. That happened at the church and that as well, but continue more, obviously like, and that, but continue with the music, right. Because that's really good. Um, there's a lot that I, I wish I could get into with this show. I feel like this deserves like a deep dive. I wish I could like have like a ringer sort of podcast with this show because I definitely do think that each and every episode deserves, like a deep dive but i will say this like if there's one thing i will spoil it's this the ending of episode six season one where they have that basketball team play off against another basketball team in that korean church while bush's machine head plays like i'm getting goosebumps while talking about it it's that good watch it for that that scene alone so anyways uh that's my review on uh beef season one go watch i don't know what they'll do for season two i just hope it's good i just hope it can live up to the hype because season one is just so good The the only issue that i have with season one is probably the last episode i felt like if they just ended it with the cars going off and i'm i'm i'm, I'm not i'm trying not to spoil anything But if they just ended off off of season nine, uh, episode nine, season one, I think it would have made the season that much more better. I I obviously understand the reasoning for episode 10 for season one, but to be honest with you, if if they just ended episode nine, it would have been 10 out of 10. It's still a good show. I mean, still like, you know, one of the best shows I've ever watched, Um, but I'm excited for season two. I really am excited for season two. I don't know how they'll get better. But I just know that it will be just as good as season one. I hope. I, I, I can I, I can hope for that, right? I can hope for that. Uh, so, yeah. I don't know what the writers will do for season two. But I know that they have the potential to make it just as good as season one. And I think that's a really good sign. So, overall, those are my thoughts on Beef season one. It, it's, a, it's, a, it's a really good show. I mean, I've already said enough good things about it, but it's a really good show. Um there's a lot that I didn't get into, but uh, that's what happens when it comes to uh, this podcast. So that's my weekly pick for you guys today. It's Beef Season 1. I just didn't think it deserved just five minutes of talking about it. Like I, I just didn't think it deserved just a five-minute se- segment. I thought it deserved more, so might as well talk about it for... 30 minutes you know anyways guys i think that's it for the podcast today so guys thanks so much for watching thanks so much for listening make sure you guys like subscribe and click the bell icon for notifications down below make sure you follow me on my instagram twitter and tiktok at oj tucker A J A Y T H A K K A R underscore at the end make sure you subscribe to both my podcast channel my podcast clips channel and my stand-up channel um and if you guys haven't done it already make sure you rate and review on apple podcast and spotify and if you're able to spread it through your word of mouth and through your text chains through your group threads whatsapp chains that'll be great to spread this through word of mouth to get more and more people involved and invest in this podcast is great it is awesome the more the merrier uh, the better conversations we can have the better entertainment that we can have i'm um, i'm trying to i'm trying to rethink about how to do this, do this podcast thing you know because obviously two episodes a week, that's good and all. Uh, but I also want to make sure that I'm able to have conversations on this podcast as well. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to incorporate that into the podcast more. So I'm trying to get interesting people to be on the podcast. If you're an interesting guy or woman or uh, non-gendered individual uh, and you want to be on this podcast, uh, shoot me an email. Uh, it's probably – or just message me o- online, or actually, on Instagram. Uh, i think it would be the preferred route um but yeah shoot me an email or message me and we can go from there um so yeah overall i think that's it for the podcast for you guys today guys thanks so much for watching thanks so much for listening i'll see you guys on thursday we'll talk more about things in a political and society realm and talk about things in tennis probably the Barcelona open 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 as well all right guys see you guys on thursday peace see y'all